All we do is crush a lot. Welcome back, Crush A Lot Podcast. I'm your boy Cheese, coming to you from a studio in Queens. And listen, I stumbled upon this. I, di- I didn't think in my wildest dreams that I would take this little podcast and meet people, wonderful people. That's the beauty of the hip hop community. Um, and people who have heard the show know that I work in social work and I do a lot of things with people. And one of the young um, men I met out there is, uh, you don't know what they do. You just take care of their kids. And it just happens to be that translates to some good work and it leads to networking. That's what it works. And uh, we, he reached, we ran into each other like in the street, like recently in the summer. So Oscar uh, Peña is here um, doing big things. Um, We're going to go into a little bit of his bio. But listen, if you're new to the show, leave a comment. If you hate the show, Leave a comment. If you love the show, leave a comment. If you want us to stop, you can leave a comment, but then unsubscribe and listen to something else. You're fine with that. I'm still not going to like J. Cole, so you're not going to convince me on that. But you're welcome to come on the show. (laughs) Uh, I have a constant rant on that. But Oscar, how are you? I'm good, brother, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate everything you've done for me and the family and uh, wherever we can support, man. It's hip-hop. It's amazing, the hip-hop culture, because you don't know who's in it and how far they are into it. And the more we talked a little bit, the more we realized we had, we both share a, a, a passion for hip hop on different levels. And mm-hmm. we're trying to do different things. Um, and we had this conversation when you found out I was doing podcasts and I found out <laughs> you were doing like filmmaking in hip hop. Yes, I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> um, and that's when I became intrigued. Um, and so this has been a long time coming. Uh, what was your first, uh, foray into to hip-hop when you were younger where I, I'm a, imagine we're around the same age I won't put it out there uh, what what my age is but it does go with the Wu-Tang number that I love so much um, so what is your like when did you first hear hip-hop and be like wow what is this because it, mm-hmm. it was when we were brought up it was just it wasn't it was still incubated yes sir so uh, you know I have no fear saying my age I'm 40 I think I'm at a great space and time and it, I think that's what puts my stamp on the music, the culture, and even my, my come up. So that puts me at six, seven years old in the mid eighties, you know, uh, I'm still a kid. I'm looking at Transformers, G.I. Joe, uh, Thundercats. Yeah, uh, Thundercats. This is what's happening in, in Voltron. This is what's happening in kid world, right? Second, third grade, and then the music, I'm Dominican, raised in uh, Washington Heights, New York, first generation. So my mother's always telling me, uh, I'm listening to in the family, oh, do you music de Prieto? Uh, yes, I do, because, but I still listen to all the family house stuff. And my first record wasn't hip hop. The first record she bought me was Mr. Telephone Man. That stood with me forever. I would go up on the Dante on top of the old vinyl player, put it up and flip uh, Mr. Telephone Man, a new edition. But around me was hip hop. Was Michael Jackson, was, um, of course, Africa Bambada, and those were like the first big things that didn't stop playing on TV and music. It was Michael Jackson, Madonna, Planet Rock, Sugar Sugar Hill came a few. You know, I was already a few years. It was around, but it was a baby. But I would say that my first acknowledgement is like everyone, Run DMC. Who are these guys? Why are they dressed like that? And this beat is dope. What is this? <laughs> what is this? What is this? And I, I, my intro to hip hop, I said this before in another episode with Ray Rock, who's a tour, um, tour DJ for Andy Mineo and Social Club Misfit, and he happens mm-hmm. to be my brother-in-law. Um, was my my oldest brother, who's a pastor. Okay. I don't think he'll like this story. <laughs> he, he contaminated me. The pastor <laughs> got me. Um, he played a lot of hip hop. This is before I I wasn't working. I you know, and he was the one bringing hip hop to the house, probably under my mom's nose because she's a pretty intense Christian woman. And it was uh, Pop the Weasel, of course, third base, third the base, weasel goes pop. and I was like, what is this weasel we talking about? <laughs> what is this? Um, and then from there I stole this tapes and, and listened to yeah, it because yeah. I wasn't working. But when I hit 14 and I was mm-hmm. SYP gave me those jobs and I was mm-hmm. working, all my checks went 
to hip hop. And then mm-hmm. if you're in Sunset Park, you would go to uh, the music center up on 47th Street and Fifth Avenue. That was the only record mom and pop shop we had. And I would literally go from A all the way down and buy everything, buy everything I could. Um, and that's where my obsession with hip hop came. And then when CDs came, I, I uh, tried to the get every recop it all at recop it. <laughs> but then they try to get you with the bonus songs yeah. that they didn't have them. Like, you're, you're like, I gotta get it. I don't want it. Yeah, and then I had, to, I had to go get the vinyl with the single and the instrumental mm-hmm. and the acapella. But they yeah. also had that um, that Rizzo B- remix that that, that you call it. Yeah, I'm like, man, you remix. guys, I get SYP money. Come on, what are you doing? That's like minimum wage five. 25 when I was young. You talking about the one and only summer youth program? That was That's my first job ever, kid. First time, 14. I never forget, we all come, you know, we come up in urban community, broke, first generation parents, you know, they get you what they can, but you know you want that new Tims, those new Jordans, you want that Columbia jacket, they used to say bugaboo in the back, you want that Jan Sport. You want that shit, and the only way to get it is to go get a job. And at 14, that's the only thing. The only way you were going to do it. And boy, did we have fun. Uh, I think the first year we worked at Alianza Dominicana, working on putting together together the parade. And I think you guys still do that to this day. Someone told me, it was like, yo. And they take the kids, and I met Guillermo Linare, who happens to be the first Dominican councilman, period. So, you know, I'm in the office, 14, 15, he's there, we're working. So that gave me the 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 first taste of working. And then when I got that check, you're a kid and you get that hundred and first check, I think it was 110 because they, yeah. cut, they, they, they cut, cut it in half. Masses. Then the next one. And then the last one is the big one. Yeah. That's the one you go back to school with. They made you wait three week, weeks for one three week Three weeks check. for that one. Week. But I tell you that much, that program's what? If I was a kid and it's still going on, I think still it's something. Going on. You know, I know they cut it. It's not as strong and as many no. people as it was before. Or but, valued. Or valued, but it's definitely an important program. So, yeah. Um, shout out to some of you who bought me my big square TV, bought me a lot of mixtapes, a lot of albums, a few Walkmans. <laughs> um, Sony and, Walkmans. And, Sony Walkmans. The and my And everyone's back to school. Yo, I'll tell you a crazy story. You want to know your ghetto story? I, I collected my check when I was working in Harlem. And I got my summer youth. And you know, summer youth day, that you pick up your check, like the whole world knows it. This fucking dude yes. try to rob me. They do. They, they wait yo, for you. I know. So the That's dude, to me I too. catch my check. I jump in the train. This grimy looking, tall, black dude. You know, I'm in the side. And he's like, but I had a feeling. Because you know, you always got the vibe. So for some reason, I took my check. And I, it was the big one. I wrapped it. And I put that shit in my sneaker. For whatever reason. Uh, intuition. Intuition. So the dude sits next to me in the train and he pulls out a knife. I'm talking about a grown ass man. I'm like 15. <laughs> and he's like, yo, I know you got a check. Yo, give me your money. Give me the money or I'm going to stab you. In the train. Yo, kid shook to death. I'm like, look, all I got, automatic lion. All I got is my watch. I don't got no one. You want it? I took off my watch. I gave it. He's like, I don't want that shit. I <laughs> gave my way out of that shit. I got out of it. I went home. I was shook to death, but I survived my first stick up. But I'll never forget it. Again, summer youth moments. Was those, those summer I wasn't clothes. giving up. You crazy? That's how they you go? What? That was my car canal, my cross colors, my baggy jeans that fucking fit old people. <laughs> um... Cause but we didn't then, know better, but we didn't. But it was the culture. It was what all you wanted to do is what Pac was wearing, Carcanal. It was cross colors. It was what people had. So, if if the audience is wondering, uh, the wonderful voice that's giggling on the side, making fun of o- <laughs> yes, Oscar. Yes, I, I I didn't know if I wanted to, to introduce because I, I don't feel I, I I'm worthy of such introduction. No. <laughs> so I'm gonna leave it to you, Oscar. Uh, we have the one and only partner in crime of the one. And only incredible, big pun, Punisher, Liza Rios. So let's give it up for yeah. Miss Rios, who the world you, will find you. out that anywhere that pun was, Liza was there. Yeah. They have a bond and, uh, and an incredible partnership since 1415. So I don't think the world knows how this story is more of a Romeo and Juliet. And the world will find out. But yes, Miss Rios is in the building. She is working... Um, on a few things, especially preparing for one of the most important days coming up next year, that that will be the 20-year anniversary of capital punishment. 
that is something that the world needs to be yes people Mm -hmm. need to respect it and understand it just like big and Pac and all these other things april 28th 2018 will be the 20 year anniversary of um an incredible an incredible album and then anybody listening to the show you already know how the crush a lot crew values that because we named the show crush a lot after the famous I'm not a player. I just, I just crush, crush a lot. lot. Crush yeah. a lot. So yes, man. Um, and we were. And all during the SYP about. days, we also did a lot of crushing. Yes, crushing. <laughs> Mom, don't listen to this, please. <laughs> uh, SYP is a very special place. If you have a chance, every uh, April they go upstate to Albany and to, uh, you know, rally to for they won't cut it. And I've been involved with SYP since I was 14, either working or oh, running it man. or even this past summer making sure young people are still getting jobs but it's important to give our young people money but it's also important to teach them how to work yes and that's how always been my approach like work it work it and a lot of those people that i hired at 14 are like my directors now wow and so i had an opportunity to do that so i will always be appreciative of syp but also uh like syp is super (laughs) hip-hop Like, it's super hip hop. It's like you don't, it's you people. don't, you don't know where the funding's coming from. <laughs> and when you do, you better make it work. <laughs> you know, you that better. sounds about right. That yeah. sounds like a record deal. It sounds like every advance deal yeah. that we've ever and been and involved. If, and if they like you, they'll bring you back. Yeah. And if you they know? don't, ah, shit. And then when you do good enough and you roll up in your car, they might try to stick you. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like uh yeah. It sounds like Harlem, Bronx, Brooklyn, and Queens. Yeah. Uh, so Oscar. You are you have a long history with hip hop, not only as a as a fan, mm-hmm. as someone who listens to it as your own enjoyment, and also identifies as someone who who, who is hip hop mm-hmm. and has a, a a deep connection to it. Um, you also have a lot of projects going on in the mm-hmm. hip hop way, so you're giving back to hip hop. So yeah. you know, one of the things that I learned is that not only are you a filmmaker, I consider you someone who's a, an artist trying to mm-hmm. just paint and, and honor the lineage of hip-hop we all know there's ups and downs of hip-hops so we're, you know that's for another conversation mm-hmm. that i plan to do where we can really get real about things but i also think that paying homage to to the foundation of it for our, our next generation could really have an understanding for they could take hip-hop and make it their own and, and forward um is is important uh what are you working on where where do you see it Oh, what's your connection with hip hop besides just listening to it? Because I know there's other avenues mm-hmm. and, and and people that you associate with within the game that might give you a different perspective than my perspective. Okay, I mean I'll give you a quick rundown because I guess my history is part of my present. Yeah. So, you know, kind of similar to you, my cousin introduced me in the in the like '90 to Stretch and Bobito. I became an underground hip hop junkie. I used to sleep with the radio burning my ear. I used to find it, you know. I heard that episode with Wu-Tang again and again. I heard Big L and Jay-Z freestyle, and I heard big puns. I mean, um, uh, Busta Rhyme, uh, Put Your Eyes, when it first played. So that goes to show you how I was, like, religiously listening to every moment. Did that through the 90s, and that kind of gave me my 15, 16, 17 years old. And... uh, Around there, I knew I wanted to be part of it. You don't know at the beginning. I think when you first find hip hop, you're searching. You're like, I want to be in it, but what? I, am I a rapper? Am I a DJ? Am I a breaker? Am I a graph? So my graffiti sucks. I can't fucking write. Um, uh, I, <laughs> I tried that too. I, I, uh, after that, I think the first one I took was rapping, and I did like one or two songs. I never forget it. I interviewed MC8. I'll never forget that, and I did the uh, um, Menace to Society soundtrack. And I did like my first record to that when I lived in Harlem and I played it and that was, but that's as far as I went. I couldn't deliver and keep it going. So hip hop is gone. Then after that, I followed DJing and I tried it for a few, but I was never great. But instantly I knew that when we sat down with the crew, four or five people rap, two, three DJ, one made a beat, but no one in the crew thought about management and business no how are we gonna move so right away i was like yeah we need some pictures we need a logo we're gonna need a bio and it just kept on and i said you know what this is the lane of what the crew needs so i automatically became the manager and that took me through a few teen years and as i moved around 
and uh, followed hip hop religiously, like Stretching Barbita will have an event and I would go at 15, 16 and meet. And I met Kid Capri, Red Alert, this and that. And they signed my cards and I took it to high school. And that was like the happiest moment for me in life. I'm like, I heard these guys, I went to the event and I saw Met The Man walking down the street and I actually followed him for two blocks. Like, because that shit was like life changing for me. I'm like, oh shit, the dude that I love, plus I was a Ralph McDaniels, like all of it, Rap City, a Big Les, all that shit, uh, pump it up. So I soaked it up and then when I became part of it, I met these guys in Uptown, that's my neighborhood, Washington Heights, New York. And these two dudes were street dudes, but they rapped and we shared in common. So this is the moment now that my life kind of, I hit 17, 18 and I start to be part of the business because I've been studying it for six, seven years. I kind of know what I want to do and then I meet two dudes that are the real deal. Um, they were Butter and Jeff from Uptown, rapper dudes. They used to rap on um, on mixtapes uh, with DJ Dave, 161st. He was the Uptown DJ. And um, we were doing uh, some activities in Uptown Washington Heights in 1990 that brought us all together. They weren't block parties, but we were on the block. <laughs> but, and then... Fill in the blanks. Yeah, and then we kind of, you know, it was a different world. It was, we all hang together. Everybody made money together. You would, you couldn't violate anyone in the streets. If someone screamed holopero, they would get the shit beat out of them for seven blocks. It was like a different time and era. It's yeah. the 90s, so the point that we're at the birth of the 90s, and these guys rap, and for some crazy reason, I become their manager, and we do a record with uh, this guy named DJ Rooster and Eddie S. Eddie S is DJ Premier's right hand and engineer for all of Premier's work. And next thing you know, they grabbed us, and I'm the manager, they're the rappers, they need a name, me and my boy Regal, who... I met in school and in the neighborhood who then becomes Rigo Morales, who then becomes uh, the guy who runs Unsigned Hype, and the guy who finds Eminem, the guy who works at Shady, who now is uh, top uh, A&R at Atlantic Records. But him and I, same neighborhood. And the funny thing, this is back to our conversation of hip hop. We, me and his brother went to school together, Kennedy in the Bronx, but I met him through his brother and we're talking. And he's like, you do hip-hop, I'll do hip-hop. First battle question. Name me top five DJ Premier remixes. Right away. What are the top re Yo, the shit is real by Fat Joe. So-and-so, so-and-so. And we're just battling. And that's how at 15, 16, we would just talk hip-hop, hip-hop. And I think that the 90s was, it was policed. And it was the golden era of hip-hop because it was new, but it had money. But we didn't care. And I have an incredible story of how me and these guys do our first record. Our first record is Eddie. One beat is produced, you know, vinyl. So it had four records. One record is produced by Eddie Santos, DJ Rooster, and the remix is done by DJ Premier. So here wow. we are, a bunch of kids from Uptown, Spanish dudes that do hip hop, and we got a DJ Premier record. At the time where DJ Premier is Metro booming on the beat, <laughs> you know? <laughs> if so-and-so don't trust you, I'ma shoot ya. That's an expensive remix. Exactly, so here we are with the hottest dudes and we put out the record and the record is actually, coincidence, it's 1996 because when they put out our record, it's called Going Out to the Hardcore Hip Hop, Raw Codics. You can Google it, you find it on, uh, on YouTube. And the record is on Freeze Records, same time that Jay-Z's there with Reasonable Doubt. So here we are, and this is an era where the streets of New York have more money than hip hop. Jay is important on changing the record deal format, because prior to that, and LL Cool J will tell you and everyone, the drug dealers had more money than the rappers. The rappers needed the streets to get into the clubs, to pay for the bottles, to have the car and have the woman. Live life. Yeah, rap, uh, hip, rappers were just guys that did things in a record booth, in a booth and would come out in a studio and be broke and would hang with people. So that's where the connection of the streets and hip hop got really strong in the 90s and you constantly hear, you know, um, I'm an uptown indictment either. I'm a, with Dominicanos up at Broadway, like I kind of lived that. So, you know, Jay's in front of me hanging. Like, I see Jay at the basketball court. I see who now becomes the president of Rock La Familia, OG Juan, sitting there with his basketball team. And me personally, like, I can tell you, my block where I grew up, I met, me, I met, 
Nori, Metaman, Redman. I mean, half of every rapper that you could think of, I met them in Uptown. They came to us. Cameron, Jewels, Jimmy. And that's what the 90s were. And what's so dope that you'll never see again, um, that people would just battle and people would rhyme. Anyone. This guy and that guy, boom. They just, next thing you know, there's a cypher. So I think that experiencing that, having my guys, and next thing you know, we hit Unsigned Hype, the rappers, we do the song. Flex is dropping bombs on it. It's a vinyl. We're selling like 80,000 pieces of vinyl. We're on Unsigned Hype. Um, but my guys didn't care. And, I'll and I, this is how I knew that my that group was like my first chance and my first failure in the business. And Liza, it's funny that you're here. I'll never forget this moment. Because you're when you're a kid, you remember things. I call the dudes, right? And remember, these dudes are getting money. I'm talking about money. These guys can make like 10 grand in a week. So they got cars, they got women, they got jewelry. Plus they have a record on the radio. They can do whatever they want. It's like 90, it's like 97, something like that. In, in the middle of the 90s, boom. Then, so I call them because I'm the manager and I go, yo, Riggs just invited us to the John Blaze video shoot. Pun is going to be there. Rayquan's going <laughs> to, let's go. These guys is like, fuck that shit. I'm about to go make some money. But, and that's why their career never got there. And I learned one thing as a manager. My first advice, never, you can't want it more than your artist. And I wanted it more for them. I wanted them to blow and I wanted them to do it. And then they didn't want it because now they tell me, like when we meet up and we do the reunions and everything, be like, yo, man, you were right. Um, but to move real quick through that, uh, managed them for five years. They did the Beat Nuts album, The Spot. There's two songs on that from Rockotics. They're on the DJ Honda H2 album and H3. Got a few songs on that. Um, like I said, Unsigned Hype. There's a movie called The Restaurant Soundtrack with Elise Neal. Um, Eminem is on that. Um, we're on that too. Um, that's the one that I was telling you that I think a Triple Stace wrote the chorus mm. and J.O. produced the record for us who produced Trizzy. Mm. For, so, you know, we were all connected even though kind of we weren't together. So, to move through it real quick, random for five years, the streets caught him. Boom, the guys get locked up. Right when I get him the first record deal, we meet, since we're on all these records on um, the Beat Nuts and Honda all sign of Relativity. This is when Relativity yeah. Records has the Beat, beat nuts, nuts, and they have yeah. all these records. MOP is over there. Like, they they get absorbed by Loud later on. But I'm in the mix. I'm in the office. I'm in the label. And Alan Grumlack, who, again, is a major staple in hip-hop now, Alan is running Relativity, and Relativity then folds, and he goes to Jelly Bean. I didn't tell you. This album... It's on Jelly Bean. The album I'm telling you, the restaurant soundtrack is on Jelly Bean record. So Jelly Bean's producing this thing. Alan Grumlin is working. He's producing the album. We do that. And then he tells us, I like you guys. I'm opening a new label. Come with me. And again, I got the two rappers that they don't care about nothing because they're killing New York, walking around with four chains. And, yo, when we go to the label, I never forget because I'm the dude who does all the research. And I, Yo, I look, I walk into the office, Pokemon. WWF, <laughs> golden platinum everywhere. It's the beginning of Koch Records. I, right now, in my house, have a contract from Koch Records to my group for the first deal that later becomes the home of Dipset and everything else. That was it. And I'll never forget in the meeting. Remember, this is the era of three videos and money and everything. The guy tells us you're going to get one video, one ad in the source, and one song to put out but you're gonna keep most of the money. It's not a regular deal. Dudes was like, yeah, cool, we're gonna do it. A few months, they get arrested, gone, and that's my first shot of losing, like of not making it in mm -hmm. hip hop, but I still want it so bad, I started to intern for Flex. And then, so to me, I didn't know that it would create the person that I am today yeah. at 40, but as a teenager to my 20s, I managed them for five years, learned management, and then I learned the next most important thing in my career that will be marketing. So then I start and I get a gig at Funkmaster Flex's franchise marketing. And then I'm the dude driving the van. I get the promo van. And next thing you know, I got the rap vehicle and I'm putting out flyers and stickers. 
And trust me, guys, I didn't need the money. So it goes to show you how when you love hip-hop, I used to go to work with probably more money than my bosses. I would have two, three Gs in my pocket, but I loved being part of the street team and hanging with Mr. Excitement, who would tell me OG stories and seeing Flex. So I learned marketing, did that for a year, carried Flex's crate and real fucking crates. I'm talking about metal square shits. There were about six to eight of them shits. And my job was to drive the van to in front of the club, open it up, carry the crates through the front door, through security, through the whole crowd, all the hot dudes, all, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, go and put them next to him, stand there, go park the van, come back. Guard them with your life. Guard, this is Flex's fucking shits. When Flex is still the shit, but when Flex is- This is his bread and butter. This, this is, is it. what brings in the money. And I sit there, Flex does his whole shit, I put it back in the van, drop it off in the office, and then take the train home. So I will get home about four or five o'clock in the morning. And this is my marketing era. And to move real quick through it, I did that. And then after that, I created an incredible relationship to someone who opened me the doors in hip hop. And um, I can never deny it's your boy Nori. Noriega, Capone, Drink Noriega. Champ. Drink champs, brother, him, EFN. There's stories that I have with EFN that um, when you put grind, that's my advice to anybody in this business, put in the work don't think about the time don't think about the money don't think about the pain just do the work and sooner or later all that shit will come together like i knew dj fn as the hottest dude who did mixtapes in miami florida he was at all the stuff and i went out there with my group rocotics and he had my records and he played it and he was a fan and we met and he wanted me to do a freestyle so we share the story of me and the crew out there doing what uptown in new york does um, in the 90s, you go to Miami, Memorial Weekend, rent the Fountain Blue, go wild out, mopeds, all that shit. And he wanted to do a freestyle, and we went and did it in the middle of a flood. It's the first time in my life that we're in a big-ass Explorer, the Eddie Bauer shit, and I saw a dude holding his Mercedes-Benz at it as it went down the street in the <laughs> in the river that had been created in the middle of Miami. I was like, holy, but we went, and every time I see EFM, we laugh about it, because he was like, yo, my studio was flooded, but we still laid vocals, we still did it. So, um, uh, a few years later, I uh, after the franchise shit, me and Nori always stuck together, close, he gave me a lot of shout outs, shouted me on songs, mixtapes, and then about 2003, he's like, yo, I got an idea. Y'all wanna do something. That's your Nori impression? That's my Nori impression. <laughs> yo, son, y'all wanna do reggaeton. I said, you wanna do what? I wanna do reggaeton. And now here you're gonna get a classic story that no one knows. Exclusive. Exclusive. So, Nori's already, he goes and he gets Tego. Tego's hot, right? He's all, he's hot all over New York City, uptown. At that time, and he was... He de was, la Vallalde, kid. Even, he, he was even respected in the English markets. Like, yeah. everyone knew, like, this guy's, this guy's for real. And one of the first people I tell about Tego, because I found him early, is Riggs and one of the, and Riggs now is at a position so just you can google this and find it we did Tego Calderon and Cypress Hill and there's a remix Cypress y Tego llegaron lo mero mero that shit we put out so that's the first time that the bond happened yeah. then we did it again at the PIMP remix for now Riggs is a shady and with Tego and we put it together and then there's the PIMP remix with Tego Calderon so this is happening Nori sees what's going on and Nori jacks a verse from Tego. He does the remix, Oye Mi Canto. Puts it out, the streets go crazy. Tego doesn't want to clear it, he feels violated. He calls me, he's like, yo, what do we do? Well, Tego, I said, I got an idea. There's this kid that's about to pop. His name is Daddy Yankee. He's in DR right now shooting a video called Gasolina. I put him never on. Never heard of him. Daddy I've Yankee. I've never heard of him. I'll never Yankee. forget this I've call. It was me, him, his manager, we were on a call and Yankee, I call Nori, and Nori's like, look, Nori doesn't have a clue who Daddy Yankee is. He's like, oh, what's his name? Daddy Yankee. What's his song? Right now it's Gasoline. He's like, all right, I got this. The this biggest is song at that time. So bro. we get on the phone, fucking Yankee goes, Nori, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of N-O-R-E. Because see what people don't know, that Yankee is a hip-hop dude. Yeah. Like motherfucking, he loved Fat Joe. I think Yankee and... 
Pundit a record on Boricua Guerrero. That's what I'm saying. Like when he had the little mustache. The little mustache. The little mustache. And he didn't really have to like pull his hair forward. So he's a super fan of rap. I'm talking about. You can see the influence in Barrio Fino. Yeah, in Barrio Fino it has it. And and I know because I sat with Yankee and I spoke about Illmatic being one of the greatest albums ever. So... Nori, me, him get on the phone and he's telling Nori how he's a fan. Yo, don't you know that Nori goes, I'm a fan of your music. You know what's my favorite? Gasoline. Yo, Yankee super happy, going crazy. It's never heard the record. The bromance. Yo, next thing you know, he's like, send me the record. We do it. And that record, as Nori said, introduced reggaeton to Americans. Because people don't understand. That record was put out. He took it to Def Jam because he was on Def Jam. They didn't get it. They didn't care. My boy Bodyguard put it into vinyl. He broke it in Connecticut. He spread the vinyl around, and the record then crossed over, and it was the hottest record in tropical, in pop, in top yeah, 40 Latino. Absolutely. Then it went in hip hop, urban, rhythmic, and top 40. So when you have a record across all platforms, it, they were like, okay, we're ready to do this. So they got Gil Green, who shot the video. And reggaeton was very regional. PR, you could, like even back then, just to buy the CD was really hard to get it in the states. Incredible, like you difficult. would super difficult. And even if I wanted to, and I, at least at that point, SYP was still giving me money, and I wanted, I couldn't. I, I would need to like cousins no, and people. So you go to PR, you'll get yeah, me this and this and bring it back. Yeah, and the classic tape. Because yeah. I'm one thing, I have a horrible memory about right now, but I remember everything 20 years with Crystal Clear. <laughs> the classic mixtape that blew reggaeton in the United States is Playero 37. Yes. That yeah. is a tape that had. Like these, these shits had Zion, they had Lennox, they had, yeah. like people don't know. So that, um, that moment of this local music and PR, and I give it to them because people were up on it. Like, yeah. why Clef did a record with Ivy Queen? Vico yeah. C was already the man. And remember, this is hip hop. This is like hip hop in Spanish. And they and so, they had a movement just like any like a like hip hop movement. So when um when when Nori and, and Yankee did it and it crossed over, that was two thousand four. And now you know I'm at a different position, right? I've been in the game for a few years. I know people, and Nori just said, "Yo, you're gonna be the president of my Latin label." So again, I thank him and I will continue to thank him. He introduced me to Pharrell. He introduced me to Dame. I sat there and did a, uh, I spoke with Jay-Z at Def Jam of what reggaeton was. And I explained to them that the Megaton concert in New York, Yankees, um, uh, Madison Square Garden gets sold out every year. They just did it last week. Yeah. They've been doing it for like 15 years and it sells out every, All the time. every year, quick. And nobody that's in that concert came from Puerto Rico, Santo Domingo, nobody came from Colombia, nobody came from... Those are all the local residents and it fills up. So this music has a movement and that's when Def Jam opened Rock La Familia and Atlantic Records signed Dego and... When you get penetrate the Latin market with American music, you're going to make some money. Mm -hmm. Because the Latin market is huge, huge. And I'm not talking about like... When people think of Latin, not not this, I'm not talking about the states. I'm talking outside of the yeah, states, like true. South America, Central America. When you can penetrate that, mm-hmm. you're talking. You're expanding your market in the hundreds triple. of millions. Just an example, right now, because of Depacito, every record label is doing it again. This whole Latin explosion, it's the same explosion. It happened 40 years ago with Miami Sound Machine. Yeah, then oh. it happened again with Ricky Martin and Mark Anthony, them rap, I'm singing in English. Then it happened again in 2004 with Canto. Now it's happening again with Latin Trap. But it's the same shit. And these Latin Trap kids, these are... I prefer, I prefer the, 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 Latin Bad Trap Bunny. over American Trap. Yeah, it's, it's so much better. Because they, they're... Uh, they're more creative. This creepy, 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 kush, kush. It's the biggest record. But these kids are getting, I'll give you an example. French Montana, number one record, Unforgettable, is celebrating 200. Let's give them 300 million views on YouTube. Humongous goal. Future, 250, 300. Any of these little Spanish kids that are the popping guys, 
500 million, 700 million, 800 million views on a record when two of your biggest rappers can't do that. Migos and Future can't do that because they don't they have play, the market, bro. They don't have the space, and these guys playing and all over Latin America, all over the country, and then understand these people don't have really no other means of playing it, right? They're not paying the Apple, they're not paying the Spotify. So what they do is every time they want to hear a song, they play YouTube. So they, put, so they put YouTube Correct. in their house, YouTube in their car, YouTube in all these countries, and now YouTube becomes a thing. So these guys... And now YouTube trying to do YouTube music because they oh, no, see they it too, to, the, for they can capitalize. The change that's coming is amazing. So that's kind of some backstory. So real quick, I did the Nori stuff for 2004 or five, and then... Uh, this is the major transition into film and television for me. After reggaeton collapses in 2000, it blew up four, five, six. It had like a three-year major run. When it, when it reached its peak. And, and its now peak, we, and it's on its way else. down. And the reason it's going on its way down, and it's the best way to explain it to our hip-hop listeners, is this. Imagine hip-hop could only be done by New Yorkers. That was the rule of hip-hop. What would have happened? So understand that reggaeton could only be performed by Puerto Ricans from Puerto Rico. You couldn't be from the Bronx. You couldn't be Dominican from Dykeman. You had to be for Puerto Rican that, from the island. That's that cred I, tell, I talk about on the show before. Yeah. And in all the episodes, are like, hip-hop is unique. If you don't have cred, if you're not mm -hmm. authentic, you're not real. We know a lot of people aren't, but longevity-wise, if people don't connect to that real person, you're done. Yeah, You're done. And so a lot of the rappers now... They're not going nowhere. They're just here no, for a summer. They call it fast food. It's yeah, fast, it's food. fast food. So that's a very real thing. And I tell people like, yeah, because I don't buy you. No, yeah. And, and at that moment, the ship blows up. Every English label signing a Spanish dude, Daddy Yankee goes to Interscope, is working with Snoop and G-Unit. Yeah. Uh, Tego goes to Atlantic. Um, uh, Hector Bambino goes over to Rock La Familia. So all these dudes are doing and getting these deals and spending this money. It's like another explosion. Now I'm like 15 years in. Remember, I started in 95. Guy like, so, like, I'm going to yeah, make, M &M go <laughs> make a curveball. So now I'm 15 years in. The shit glow, blows up because understand, clear channel. See, people got to understand the business yeah. of entertainment. Music business and the film business is art meets commerce. And they get together and have a baby. Art, yo, a screenplay, a song, a beat. Art meets commerce. I need money to market it, promote it, to, to shoot the video, to make the shirt, to, to do anything. So when you get that together, so when reggaeton blew up, all these guys jumped on it and record label um, radio stations flipped, Clear Channel flipped 30 stations. So now they got La Calle. So they got La Calle, New York, LA, Houston. Urbano, Urbano. Yeah, yeah, Urbano, Urbano. So what happens is they turn these stations over to reggaeton all day, but the problem is there's only 15 acts. So what does Don Omar, Nicky Jam, Daddy Yankee, We See Yandel, uh, Evie Queen, they all have in common? Puerto Rican from the island. They couldn't sustain that. Just like if hip-hop could only be done in New York, then you're completely killing The Chronic. You're killing Ghetto Boys. You're killing any, everything. Any regional. Anything that exists, you would kill it. So then hip-hop wouldn't grow. So that's what happened. We wouldn't so, have outcasts. So now you get to, exactly. You get to my story that now I'm 15 years in hip-hop. I actually did underground hip-hop. Vinyls, Fat Beats. I skipped that. I worked at Fat Beats for a year there. I love Fat but, Beats. But, you know, it was the home. I used to walk through the stores and look and read. It was credit. sad when they closed, man. Yeah. I, took a per so, I took it hard. So when I've done underground hip-hop, I've done the record label, I've done the street team, I've done the DJ shit, and then I ran, I had the biggest Latin record and ran the label and met with Jay-Z at Def Jam. I was tired of it. I have 15 years, not of the music, but of my struggle. I consider myself a failed music producer. So I'm like, I didn't make it. So I was like, let me move forward. And I wanted to get into advertising. I will tell you, it was the hardest thing because I didn't have any degrees. You know, I went to high school. I got my GED. I never went to college. I jumped into more. So I couldn't get into advertising because I wanted to be creative and all my marketing. So through the grapevine, I find... Uh, this lady, again, gives me an opportunity. Uh, Celia Fox, based out of California, independent, had doing her first feature. Second, she produced, first she directs. Has $15 million to do a gangster film. Lawrence Fishburne, Tate Diggs. But all my projects have a hip-hop element. David Banner's in it. Corrupt is in it. Uh, Young Thug, uh, I'm not Young Thug, um, 
uh, uh, Boss Hog, um, uh, Doug, the guy from Houston. I'm Slim Thug. Slim, Slim Thug. Slim Thug. So all these dudes are in this movie, and I join it. She's like, I need a hip hop consultant. I need a consultant. And you know, one thing I learned is I was able authenticate able to, this for me. Yes, but at the same time, I'm able to have a conversation. I'm able to understand business. I'm able to um, run the project for her on, on her urban side and use all my resources. Right? I'm able to do a screening for the people at the record label or rappers or I got all the DJs, you know. Uh, DJ Enough calls me Oscar. He doesn't want to call me Super O because he knows me when I was a kid and he's running with Biggie and I'm running with my dudes because even though I didn't make it with them, we made a buzz. We sold a lot of records. We did a lot of shows. You know, we went to everywhere that everyone went. We just never put out an album. We never shot a video, but I put out five records. There's an article called, I think somebody wrote it and it was like uh, the greatest group that never was. And they compared us to uh, Capone Noriega, to the Beat Nuts, because we were gonna have production from DJ Premier, and we had, because we never did an album, we just put out singles. So we put out six singles through Fat Beats. I mean, the yeah, first get, time they get gave the street, us- Get the yeah. street buzzing, street I mean, the singles. first check they gave us was like $17,000, and no one in my crew had a bank account but me. Like, that's how I was always the manager. They're like, yo, we just got 17 grand. We don't even know. It's like, I'll cash it. I got a Citibank account. So um, once I met this lady, she gave me the opportunity. I was able to kind of and learn. And once you get into the film business, and I'm used to following a rapper, and he shows an hour late, and he needs a bottle, and he needs to smoke a blunt. Green M&M's. And, and, and he needs all these things before he even performs. Here I come to Hollywood, and the actor's 45 minutes earlier. He knows all his lines. He's ready. To, I'm like, what the fuck just happened? This is... And I fell in love with still being creative, artistic, and art meets commerce, do these movies. And one thing that you have to do, my advice to everyone is when you get into something, fucking learn it. So I got into the film business. It took me three weeks. I learned everything. I read every book, every documentary, every movie. I knew everything about the first frame that was made of film with the guy who wanted to see if a horse lift his four legs up in the air. And they shot it in 24 frames and put it in a lap and saw that's the beginning of 24 frames uh, 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 a second for film. And from there to the Warner Brothers, uh, the Disney Brothers, how all these studios were purchased, created by them, and then boards came and took it away from them and made them workers and they lost. So the point is when I was able to sit with people and I'm doing this film stuff, um, I'm able to have a conversation and explain and add something. So now we get to, I do this movie with her. I work with her for a few years. She shows me the business. I learn it and then I meet my mentor today that is Ed Martin. As I'm doing this $15 million feature, that's an independent and I learn about the battles. See, what she did, and again, I want people to learn from this. She went and grabbed $15 million of her personal money, her family's in real estate, plus she sold another movie that gave her a few millions. She's making this big movie. The industry switches. It's 2008 and nine, And usually, a studio makes the movie. They own it. They control it. Or they buy you out. You make a movie. Yeah. They buy your movie, right? So let's say your movie costs 10 million. They give you a million for it. They take you're gonna, they tell you you're gonna get all this money in the back and the points and you're gonna spend money on it. They take it, they own it. Now, they put it out. You see that the movie made $50 million and when you go get your money, they say you haven't recouped. Everybody knows this in the music industry. You're like, wait a minute. Like, I just sold $30 million in the box office or I just sold 2 million albums and what do you mean I haven't recouped? Because they're able to cross collateralize meaning that they can take and pay all their bills of everything they lost off of yours and just hit you with this whole, the access, the trick is you don't have open books. Since you gave it to them, you can't bring in an internal accountant because it's not in your contract. These are the things that I learned to say, when I do a deal now, I wanna bring in the money, bring in the marketing dollars and I wanna run it because I wanna have open accounting and saying, I wanna pick this billboard or I don't need this billboard or you don't need to feed these people or I don't need to pay first class for these people. So now my expenditures is less and I can recoup at a better point instead of you giving me this bogus numbers. So the point was that she didn't wanna sell the movie because they were gonna jerk her. So for two, three years, I ran with her trying to find PNA, print and advertising money for promotions because she has the movie. Lionsgate, everybody wants to buy it, but they want to give her two, three million and debt her. And she knows this. And I know this. So 
I thank her because again, there are people in my career that have been put there to help me. And she's one that gave me the opportunity. It was like, no, they have to talk to the Dominican kid from uptown who only has a GED. And I'm sitting at Universal explaining to them the rollout of this film, how we have a Boys in the Hood or a Juice or a Minister Society. And yeah, it, it, it's that's very similar to the podcast game. Without the money, of course, because I pay for everything. Um, but it's it, like you get in. It's like, how do you do this? What do you do? How do you how do you how do you even advertise this? How do you even get mm-hmm. revenue from this? Uh, when you reach out to people, it's like, yeah, you're not big enough. I'm like, when I'm bigger than you, don't uh-huh. come calling to me. Like, so it's it, it's weird. Like like how people want to take. Mm-hmm. When I'm trying to just create and have conversations, and that's why anybody who listens to the show, you can come on the show. I have, I don't care if you have one follower or two. I don't care. I want to talk to you and find out why this special hip hop thing is important to you. I want to know why. Mm-hmm. I'm connected to that. For so, the people. For the people. So if you're in Kuwait, wonderful person in Kuwait, I met. I would have never done that. I, mm-hmm. Like now, I have a special connection to that to that person to Farah you know so and and now with you Oscar it's like, yeah, it's like so it's I feel like when you that's why I know in a, in a way I don't want the money I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want no money out of this because I don't know if it'll taint mm-hmm. uh, the, the experience I just like talking to people about mm-hmm. this and, and just absorbing that and what will come out from it I don't, I don't know I don't particularly have a name but that's an interesting story like in terms of how to how do you protect your craft and and really merge the commerce with with the artistry and that's for anyone listening that's really really absorb that and and protect your brand and protect what you're trying to do um what are you working on right now because you do your filmmaking mm-hmm. i'm privy to some stuff um but what what's your ultimate goal with whatever projects you're working on now so where we're at now is that uh, to bring everything full circle, we do the independent movie, and through it, I meet Ed Martin, who's my mentor. Ed is working for the studio. He's working with here at Kaufman. I meet him here at this building, and he's impressed by me. He says, wow, you really know what you're saying. You get the business. So he puts me on the future list, meaning, hey, kid, I like you. I'll see you in the future. I'm doing my film projects. Funny. You're working on your film. We stay in contact. So... A few, a year or two go by, the project is never released, I move forward, I don't want to go back to music, I'm in my film mode, I end up working a few different productions, you know, I work with Wild and Out, I do the show uh, National Geographic's Drugs Inc., yeah. I do about, a, I did season seven, so uh, I'm, a, I'm a producer on that, so I get around and then jumping I Jumping around, Yeah, jumping around, paying my bills but being in the mix and now I'm in this field now, so now I got about four, five, six years in the film business, Ed hits me up. Uh, about uh, two years ago and says, I'm going independent. I had an offer to go to Disney. I'm going to open up my own studio. I'm going back to Kaufman, where we met. I'm going to be, uh, we're going to be minority Latino owned because he's Hispanic. So am I. But w- our plan was to create a home to go against everything that the studio system is doing. And he already had relationships. So Ed is a person who is a genius gets this business knows how to produce paid his own dues but has relationships so we have all the latino actors luis guzman danny trejos uh, uh kate de castillo these are all ed's uh, lauren velez from dexter these are all his friends that he's been in the mix with so now we have the latin pool and then he has all the italians so we got all the guys from the soprano vincent pastor pussy family part of the team and then i have a lot of the wire dudes hassan yeah. who i met during my and funny story i met hassan and idris when the wire was on fire through hip-hop they were buying vinyl at fat beats and we became friends and now and obviously my name cheese is from the wire the wire played by method man so <laughs> the funny thing is that i met these guys until this day idris is in freaking door right <laughs> and hassan has been in everything and uh ed opens up this company so once he opens it we're brand new self-funded brand new production company understand we do film and television but we're not we're a boutique company meaning that we created to create right i don't do i don't do commercials i don't do music videos they are companies that do that we create yeah. our own contact and develop it so while we're doing this get building our office 
when he ended up um, putting scripts and movies. I, as the vice president of development, that's the title he gives me because why? I've been doing marketing, I've been doing management, I know how to create stuff. I've been doing this now 15 years plus. So that's a title that fits me. I say, you know what? Fucking hip hop is gonna come back and just bite me in the ass again. I'm sitting here and I'm like, we're developing projects. I was like, damn, I got an idea. I'm looking at hip hop, I'm seeing what the status now, right? 15, 20 years go by. Hip hop has changed, we got the internet, we got MySpace, we got mixtapes. Hip hop has changed so drastically since I was a kid that bars, songs used to be 16 bars and now they're 12. Albums used to come out on Tuesdays, now they come out on Fridays. Like these are fucking hip hop facts. I, and I explained that to people. People why might not that understand. Is. Even I though they still came out on Tuesdays. No, 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 no. that's it. You know so what you are? They still come out You're Tuesdays. OG. I had OG. no idea they come out on Fridays. And, 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 and people, I explained this a few episodes ago. Why that happened? And that's just to increase your numbers. If you drop it on Friday, You're it right. doesn't get recorded. The final number doesn't get recorded till a few days later. So if you drop it on Tuesday, you don't get those numbers. So instead of selling a hundred thousand, it says that you you sold two hundred dollars, two hundred, because you have those extra days. Same reason why the movies drop, big movies um, drop on Wednesdays yeah, to give you those. Extra but you can days have the weekend money to end the week starting yeah. Wednesday. So, so it's just so, a marketing yeah, ploy. To benefit them, so they can have numbers and play with Well, it. we got the number one. So you'll get a number one if you drop on Friday, but Sean Price dropped on a Tuesday, so he's not going to get those numbers because he didn't have the extra days for sales. That's why he's dropping on a Friday. So, um, but I will only open them on a Tuesday because I'm OG. I refuse to. You you stick to your like guns. Tuesday. So, so uh, to bring back, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about uh, the change of hip-hop. I have interns now working with me. They're asking me what is a turntable, why did they do break beats, I have a teenage son, he loves all the young shit, I listen to it, I have no problem, I mean music yeah. is music, I love hip hop, I'm it's not gonna time. say, you know, I, I listen to Bad and Bougie and all the dumb shit, but at least I know it's dumb shit, it's not yeah. like I think that it's lyrical content, you know, you're not gonna compare, there's a and, place and, for it, yeah, for sure. and, and I see how these kids now go crazy when they got uh, Kendrick Lamar, right? And it's an incredible album. I loved it. But they got, they, it took them months, maybe a year. We used to get Illmatic, Ready to Die, 36 Chambers, Outkast. We used to get, like, you used to get so many classic albums that you, you still weren't done On with the, the last date. tape. Yeah, I still like, wasn't done. 36 Chamber and Midnight Marauder came out the same That's day. incredible. Like, two classics. How and do then, you pick which one's better? Is on yeah, the, and, and so... Um, I felt that as a producer, as someone in the film business now, I don't see myself going back into music. It's pulling, but I don't. So I'm like, what? How do I do my? How do I pay my respects to hip hop? My me, forget everyone else. Me, Oscar Pena, who grew up in hip hop, 20 years, loved it, lived it. How do I do so? I was like, I need to develop, and I pitched to Ed. Yo, I got an idea. How about we do a documentary about hip hop, but not just all hip hop, right? Originally, the project started as something else, but it was a documentary about hip hop around someone, and that person couldn't commit to it. But it would have been a great story, so we had to have a plan B. And the plan B was like, let's do a hip hop, a documentary about hip hop to explain it to the youth. How, where is the home of hip hop, right? Does hip hop live at Hot 97? Does it live at The Source? Does it live at BET? Does it live now on YouTube? Is it Vivo? Where can a teenage kid get everything he needs to know about hip hop without it taking 20 years and getting the facts? So I was like, how about we do a documentary about hip hop, but we focus on something that hasn't been told. I explained earlier, I didn't want to tell the story of the origin of hip hop constantly because if I do Spider-Man or you do Batman, you already seen it over and over. You know, they kill Bruce Wayne's parents, the kid gets bit by a spider. So it's like, if I do a doc, I do acknowledge it, but what makes our, our project focuses on the golden era 90s. Now, I don't say that, I just say the golden era. Some people, Mr. C feels it's 86, 87, and 92. Some people feel it's 90 to 97. Some people, so I let the golden era be the golden era, but our project is the golden era of hip hop. It focuses mainly on, I would say, strongly 
late 80s to late 90s, but it gives you the whole timeline of hip hop. So we start at the beginning, at the park, at the break beats. We mention the DJs, but we move through them real quick. We move, but we still tell a kid, James Brown, DJ, break beat, the DJ was king. Um, Sal Abatello took it out from the park, put it in the clubs. Uh, Curtis Blow was the first rapper to have a record deal. Um, Rapper's Delight was the first record to pop. Uh, people used to walk into the store and say, I want that song that goes the hip, the hop, the hippie to the hip. We go through it and then we go to nine, um, uh, 82, we go to 84, run DMC. We go through 86, what, um, what, what KRS, um, what Rakim, what a public enemy, and then we get to where we start our story. But we're already, I would say, past 15, 20 minutes. So you get the birth of hip hop, but real quick, and then our story starts, it slows down. You get details of what made 89 such a strong year. What was the most powerful thing happening 89, 90 in New York? I'm East Coast based. Now I have West Coast people, but I started the New York and we go, New York gets Mayor Dinkins, the first black mayor. Yeah. You need to see, kids need to see how that look, because this is what preps you for the, Obama. The environment that produced this sound is so important. And people, even when I talk to people about hip hop, the origin, I go, you have to understand that at this point, New York was like stripping the the music program from school and yeah. stripping homes down to build the guanas. Yeah. And that uh, that led to, especially in the Bronx, like it, it, it got demolished to just put the guanas mm. there. Um, and in my area in Sunset Park as well. And all those people got disenfranchised and now you have, so you don't have public mm -hmm. arts to have our, our black and brown folks learn. Yeah. They didn't, they stay didn't busy. Work. They just got to stay busy. And Remember, there's nothing to do. And that's where do. it came from. Yeah, this frustration came from from there. And a lot of people yeah. don't understand. It's like, it just didn't come out of nowhere. This was our rally cry. This was our protest. Uh, um, and perfect example to start that year, the biggest record of 90 is Fight the Power. Absolutely. Fight the Power starts. So when you think of our, like, I start this story in Mayor Dinkins, people are upset. And I have people to back it up. You know, I have Moni Love telling me, this is where Native Tongues was at. This is how we felt. We were at the video shoot. I actually have Chuck D explaining. So I'll tell you about the doc. We've been super blessed to have, most docs have, you know, 10, 12, 15 interviews. We're about 40 plus, And this includes people from the birth of hip hop. So we have Curtis Blow. We have Salah Botello. Um, people that are uh, Red Alert, Ralph McDaniels, and you know, they're giving you these inside stories because I'm able to trigger and say, um, tell us about Music Video Box, about what it so meant, important. right? So tell important. Tell us what um, uh, radio sounded like in the early uh, 80s, Mr. Magic, uh, uh, Red Alert. You know, so now, even though my son might not ever know or get, I'll get to tell him and get him a little taste of how important, and have all these rappers, some of them he might know, some of them he's heard of, say, see Raekwon, see Nori, see Jim Jones, see DJ Camillo or Dave East or Moni Love or Busy Bone or The Brat or all these people tell you their story of what Ralph McDaniels, The Source, what did mixtapes mean to all your favorite DJs, right? I We got DJ Drama talking about what Doo-Wop 95 meant, what Ron G, what, yeah, what Ron Chill G, yeah. Will, what Capri, who started all of this. So it's figuring it out, a balance, that that's where we're at now. We're um, almost done with our interviews. We have some amazing surprises. We have some reenactments. Um, but we'll be in post um, through the holiday season. And I'll tell you, listeners, to just be on the lookout for the golden era of hip hop. Golden era of hip hop um, to be released sometime early 2018 with a few other uh, special things that we're putting together. But it's going to be a full length doc uh, focusing on the golden era of hip hop. It will take you through the beginning all the way to present time, but the focus will be that golden era. Um, and it's a special project. It's really difficult because. I'm so attached to it. Um, Labor and, of love. Yeah. And, you know, we have executives, you know, Pecas, who works with um, Sean Perez, the people that were there. And this is not, I'm not Brian Gumble. <laughs> I am not an yeah. uh, interview. I am a guy who loves hip hop, 
bust my ass, do production. And when I really got down to it, I didn't even want, I didn't want to direct this. I didn't want to ask a question. I just want to do what I've been doing for 20 years. I put things together and step back. But when I sat there, I didn't know how to get someone to do what I needed to do. You have to be able to talk to someone hip hop, right? So when I meet a drama who I'm, remember, I'm meeting 80% of the people I'm meeting for the first, first time. Night, Some yeah. I knew, right? So me and enough go back and I'm, but I'm asking enough. How do you even about, craft this email? By the way, I'm working on a documentary. Yeah, want to like know if you want to be a part of it. Yeah. I send those emails all the do time. Do you want to be part of this documentary for free? I need to come to you because I can't afford to pay these people because I won't disrespect them because yeah. it's a labor of love. Uh, the money that we have is going into creating it, meaning into the cameras, into the lighting, into the setup, into the food, into the crew, into the post, because it's, you can't. I mean, you're not here to punch a clock. If you want to be part of this project and you want to punch it and count, it's not going to work. It's, But this is why it's great. I was able to speak to the creator of FUBU. I was able to talk to Willie Esco. And he told me how he took pun to Puerto Rico for the first time to do like. And then, you know, our story is I had to do it. And again, I was so anti doing it. I don't do interviews. I don't do, I don't do, this is not my role, but I feel like I have to tell it because someone has to tell it. And I'm able to sit with these guys and trigger that and go, if I'm talking to a dude that's hip hop, you know hip hop, right? Like, so I know that I can talk to David Banner about yeah. certain things, right? I know that I want to talk to um, drama about Atlanta and what outcast men are him. I want to talk to um, the brat. What story so, do so. I, as a fan, want to hear from the brat? I want to hear about how you met Jermaine Dupri. Yeah. I want to hear about how you did Functified, how you did Welcome to the B-Side with Biggie. How was it with you and Big, you being a female? How was it that you were rolling with So So Deaf and Bad Boy, but yet Tupac thought you guys were against him and he dissed the brat? Like, tell me story of how you and Mariah Carey were wilding in the 90s. So... I am so embedded and I can make all the questions I want, but when I catch you and I see you and I know that you give me a story that's the only way to trigger. I got Moni Love telling me about how her and Queen Latifah did ladies first. Like, I gotta trigger that. And yeah. that's what makes this project, I think, a bit different. So I tell your fans, we have some incredible interviews. I mean, tons of hours, but please be in the lookout for that. That's something that's coming. We're looking for the golden era of hip hop, nineties hip hop in particular coming yeah, out. Golden early, era, early two thousand eighteen. So that that will come with a few other surprises, and that we're, we're we'll, not ready to release. We'll keep that in the tank, and hopefully we can follow up uh, when the when the release date comes or, or once it's dropped, mm -hmm. um, just to get the the buzz in the air. We also have the. The 20th anniversary of Capital Punishment Capital on Punishment. April 28th. April 28th. Be on the lookout. It will be the 20-year anniversary to Capital Punishment. And we are working again on some surprises. Which is a landmark landmark album. It's landmark like, album. Landmark. There will be um, special collabs being put together. Um, so just be on the lookout. Have it on your calendar that that first quarter, regardless what, we're promotional dudes, people. So you're going to know. 30, 60, even due to the internet, maybe 90 days ahead. Yeah. So if you know that April 28th is pun, know that somewhere in January, February, you will start to hear the yeah, information. Yeah, you'll hear the buzz. And I'm, hear sure, the buzz. I'm sure everybody in the world is going to do something related uh, to pun. Um, if you like what you're hearing and you're really getting a lot from Oscar, listen, you want to come to the show, talk about it, crush a lot podcast at gmail.com. You yeah, yeah. go to I, Apple iPad uh, Apple Pod um, app. Look for a crush a lot. So hit the subscribe. Make sure you hit it. It turns green hit when it. you do it. Hit it. Leave a comment if you you like what you're hearing. If you don't like what you're hearing, write that too or any feedback. Uh, we really want to get as good and and really take your feedback to heart. So that helps us get to the ranking and expose to other people. We're on iTunes. You can find us there, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Podbean. Uh, we're working on getting on some other places. Um, find us on our social media, Crush A Lot Podcast on Instagram, um, Crush A Lot Cheese over at Twitter if you want to just 
talk hip hop um, with me. I'm, you know, I'm anybody who knows me. I'm always open to that. Um, even if I have to stay up at three in the a.m. because my Kuwaiti friends have an eight-hour <laughs> difference um, from me. Um, we appreciate everyone. Hey, the world is crazy right now, right? The great thing about the Crush A Lot podcast, we really want people to to come together over something. This is what hip hop mm-hmm. has done. Um, so thank you, Oscar, uh, Miss Reels, for being here. Thank you. Um, thank you. Um, we'll, we'll get Miss Reel on in, in, in a future episode yes, yes. where she's in the vibe. I'm still like soaking it in yeah. um, and and all that good stuff. But we really want people to approach each other with empathy with understanding that's so important and the biggest thing we always say at the end of the show listen if you're having a a, if you're going through anxiety depression or anything like that listen just know you're never alone just know that we we really do care for people and show empathy because mental illness is a serious thing and i want people to embrace each other with empathy that's the biggest thing uh we could do for one another and if you could donate to anything for houston even just retweeting something that's what we hope for people from the crush a lot crew uh inspire you to do so saying that oscar miss rio be on the lookout for all the projects we'll put it on the link thank you for being here crush a lot podcast i'm your boy cheese shout out to her love day we'll talk soon peace peace